Welcome to the Postpartum Wow, the show where moms share their raw, unfiltered postpartum moments. I'm your host, Sarah Allen, and I'm a first-time mom who was completely broadsided by postpartum depression and anxiety. I'm here to show the not-so-pretty side of becoming a parent, and I hope you hear something that resonates with you because, let's be honest, the postpartum experience is nothing like we imagined. But along with the struggles come glimpses of hope. So buckle up and hold on tight, and let's get to it. Welcome back, friends. So, episode one, going to be my story, my postpartum experience, the whole nine yards. But before I get into that, definitely need to put in a little disclaimer here. I am not a medical professional. Everything I say here, it should not be taken as medical advice. It's just my own experience, my own perspective, and my own outcome. The stuff I, I talk about today is is what was helpful for me. Uh, so just take that as you will. Also, I'm going to be talking about some intrusive thoughts that I had um, about being a mom and about having a baby. And just know that my daughter was at no point in danger um, of being harmed. This was just stuff that was going through my head and stuff that I was feeling, but I never once acted upon those. So don't ever fear like my child was ever in danger because she wasn't. And last but not least, this uh, also includes a trigger warning. If you're currently going through some of this or you're in the throes of it, uh, just be forewarned. Um, This could trigger some emotions, some feelings, um, that you may be going through right now. And even if you're not, if it could, you know, bring back to mind some things that you have gone through. So just keep that in mind as you listen to this episode. So now that the little house cleaning bits are taken care of, let's dive right in as soon as I open up this hard seltzer, because it is a Monday that I'm recording this. It has been a long day. And I just put my eight month old to bed and she finally just fell asleep. So let's get to it. So we got pregnant last summer, it was the summer of 2021. We had just moved to a new city because of my job. And my husband and I, we'd been married three years at that point, decided that it was time for us to start a family. So I worked a lot the past few years to get my body in a healthy state and ready for pregnancy. So I was eager to start trying, and we were incredibly blessed. We did not struggle with infertility. We didn't get pregnant on the first try, but we did get pregnant on the second try, and we were excited. Our initial reaction was, this is what we wanted. This is what we prayed for, so we are grateful, and we were ready for the ride. Um, and for the pregnancy part, I felt like we were ready. Um I was blessed with a very uncomplicated, uneventful pregnancy. I didn't even really have symptoms until like the third month. Because I found out I I was roughly six weeks pregnant when I got the positive pregnancy test. And the only reason I took it is because I'd missed my period. I wasn't nauseous. I wasn't dizzy. Um, I did notice I was a little fatigued, but... 
I'd had a busy weekend, so I figured, well, I just tired and I needed to catch up on sleep. No big deal. Um, so needless to say, I was not expecting a positive. Um, I took three different tests and of course the instructions always say to wait five, 10 minutes or whatever. I didn't have to wait that long. It was an instant positive. (laughs) Those two lines showed up immediately and there was no, there was no question about it. We were pregnant. So decided to go the midwife route, um, decided that a while ago. Um, I'm just never been a huge fan of hospitals and, the more reading I was doing about home births and just natural births in general and like a birth center, that's really the path that I wanted to go down. And thankfully, where I live, we had excellent resources at our fingertips to go down that path and found some wonderful, wonderful midwives and uh, doulas and women who were advocates for me and, and what I wanted. And it was it was wonderful working with them. And um we did the normal uh, screenings at 20 weeks, um, ultrasound, all that, and everything looked great. Everything was going as as normal. Te- they called it a textbook pregnancy. Um, I didn't gain a whole lot of weight. I gained just um, just enough to support the the pregnancy and to support my own uh, hormonal changes. So um, I think the most complicated thing was about the second trimester. I did have some migraines, but it was nothing. I, you know, just some, some rest couldn't, couldn't fix. So I was grateful on that front. I did have a a little bit of nausea, but again, I was able to find a way to treat it, to at least make it manageable. Didn't have any food aversions, so I could still eat what I really liked. Um, the only exception there was I couldn't drink coffee. (laughs) Something about coffee really bothered my stomach. I don't know if it was just the acidity or what, but, um, yeah, for a good, three months, almost four months of the, the, almost the entire first trimester. It was like, uh, uh-uh, no coffee. I could do tea. So I wasn't totally deprived of caffeine, but that was a struggle. That was a struggle. Not having caf- not having my normal coffee in the morning. It was, I missed it. But by the time the second trimester came around, I was able to tolerate it again and, and just, you know, drink it in small amounts. And, um, I was feeling much, much better by that point. Um, I did feel quite exhausted. Like I, I slept. Oh my gosh. I could sleep the day away easy. In fact, that's what I did on the weekends when I wasn't at work was I slept. I think at one point, even my husband was just like, is sleeping all you do now? And I was like, well, yeah, kind of, because apparently it's exhausting or a human. So I'm just going to roll with it. So that was July of uh, 2021. And expected due date was the end of March. And so we went about it, like I said, very uneventful, and I was very grateful and really excited, and we had a lot of anticipation about it. So I felt like the pregnancy itself went very well. And then the birth, so she was born. We found out she was a girl uh, at the 20-week ultrasound. We actually found out a few weeks before then we did the, no, there was like a, a blood test or something they could do at 13 weeks, and it checks the DNA. And and that's how we found out that she was a girl. Um, ultrasound confirmed it though. So that was nice. Um, which side note on that, I didn't know that gender disappointment was a thing until I experienced it. Cause for the longest time, I always pictured a boy. I'd pictured a boy. I dreamt about a boy. I always imagined we'd have a son I figured, well, you know, it's not the end of the world if we have a girl, but that's just what I kept 
I kept picturing for some reason. And when we found out that she was a girl, you know, like the first 10 minutes after that, I was, you can ask my husband, I was like crying, all kinds of worried because it's just like, ah, she's going to hate me. We're going to have a mother-daughter dynamic that's going to be outrageous and we're going to be each other's throats all the time and it's going to be preposterous and monsterly and us, oh, I was so not prepared to handle that. And, but again, that was like the first 10 minutes. After that, it was like, oh, we're having a girl. So, and then, you know, that was that. It's like, girl this, girl that. That was, that was all I was anticipating at that point. That was all I was dreaming about. And so it's like, all right, we're having a daughter. Let's roll with it. So she was born. She was born two weeks early. I was, I carried her to 38 weeks. I said I carried her to term. Um, she was head down pretty much the entire pregnancy. She, she moved. She was pretty active, but she almost always was in the head down position. Um, I went into labor on a Saturday, didn't know I was in labor. I just noticed that, oh, I'm feeling a, a little crampy and it's a little bit regular, but I'm not going to put too much thought in it. I'm going to go about my day and was able to sleep, was able to rest, um, got a couple of things done around the house and went for a walk and it was nice and went to bed that night and was able to sleep through the night. Um, very irregular. Again, it, it was easy just to put in the back of my head and just kind of roll with it. Sunday, on the other hand, I woke up and they were a little more frequent, a little more regular. I went ahead and told him he works on week. My husband works on weekends. So I told him, go ahead and go to work. Cause at that point, all I'd known was that first time mom's the birth can be incredibly slow and drawn out. So I was like, I think we have time. You go ahead and go to work. I'll call you if if things really pick up. Because our plan was to have her at the birth center where the midwives operate out of. Um, this being the our first birth, I wasn't quite ready for a home birth. So we went the birth center route because it was real close to the hospital in case there was a complication. So that made me feel better. Um, but I had already decided I was going to do most of the laboring at home, uh, in the comfort of my own home, comfort of my own bed. And I'm so glad I made that decision because I'm convinced that's what made things go as smoothly as they did. Cause I was able to relax for as long as I could and did that all day Sunday, just was able to get comfortable in between contractions, lay down, lay still, breathe through them. And that was pretty much my entire day. Um, it was about six o'clock that evening. I couldn't get out of bed at that point uh, because they were starting to be a little more frequent. And so I called my doula because the plan was to call the doula first, have her come over and assess the situation and watch me and kind of coach me through the labor and decide when it was time to um, go to the birth center. And of course, all throughout the day, I'd been keeping my team informed. So I'd I was texting my husband throughout the day, texting my doula and even the midwives. I, I gave them a call and told them what was going on. And they said, yep, you're doing great. Just keep resting. Call us when they're like five minutes apart um, and we'll go from there. So I was like, cool. All right, we're going to we're going to roll with it. I did not anticipate having a baby that night. I really didn't. I figured this was going to draw out again through another day and I would have her on Monday maybe and just kind of ride it as as it goes. So. 
Uh, but yeah, six o'clock that evening, I thought, oh, well, this is going faster than I thought. We could have a baby tonight, but it'll probably be like, you know, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. or something like that. So I better, you know, rest up for a very long night. And my doula agreed. She she said, yeah, let's let's get you as rested up as we can. And because uh, I think we're in for a long night. So she came over. Well, no, let's back up. My husband came home eight o'clock. And that's when that's when shit got real. Pardon my French, but that that is when it it got very, very real that we were going to have a baby within a couple hours. I don't know if my body it was I, I still say my body was the one that determined, OK, your husband's home now. <laughs> you can relax and get the get the ball rolling. So uh, got the doula over to the house. She checked me and she assessed what how frequent the contractions were were happening. And uh, when she came over to the house, it was at that point I could no longer talk. All I could do was concentrate on riding the wave breathing through them. And the coping mechanism I ended up going with was making the low noise tones and stuff like that. I don't know if you've ever read up on on natural birth, but that was one of the strategies I remember. And that's what came natural to me. So um, made a lot of those low tone moans, I guess is the best way to describe them. During the contractions would ride that wave, breathe, and then relax. And that that was the continued pattern throughout the rest of the evening. And it was about, I lost track of time around that point. So I always had to talk, ask my husband to clarify, but I think I labored between laying in bed and then sitting on the toilet because my doula kept calling the toilet a, um, the dilation station. And I was like, all right, at that point I, I couldn't think straight anyway. So I was just doing what I was told. Um, and she was great to have around too because she could instruct my husband to be like, okay, uh, try this, try this. This is going to help her do this, 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 and this. And so if anything, it was a comfort to have her around so he could feel like he was being useful. And so that was nice. Um, but yeah, it was about, I think, 9.30, 9.30, o'clock. She called the midwives and said, okay, we got a transporter because we're moving quickly now. Um, my water hadn't broken at that point in time. And I think that's why I was in denial thinking I was going to have a baby that night because I still, my water was intact. I, all the stories I read was, Oh, well the water breaks and then all the stuff happens. And nah, not in my case. <laughs> so, um, we get in the car and we drive the 10 minutes to the birth center. I just remember not being able to lay down. I, I could sit somewhat reclined, but I definitely could not lay down. So I had to sit up a little bit, ride those waves. And I remember when we got to the parking lot, I had one as I had a contraction as I was getting out of the car and I had to lean over on the, on the seat of the car just to ride that wave so I could walk. Cause I couldn't walk during a contraction. There was no way. Um, so I got through that. The midwives, they came out to the parking lot, walked me into the the birth center, into the birth suite. And a lot of things went black after that point because again, I really just had to go into my zone and kind of tune everything out. Uh, 
I remember I w- there was a couch in there and then there was a bed and then there was a tub because I was hoping to have a water birth. Um, so they were filling the tub. Contractions were just boom, 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 hitting me left and right. And then I started feeling the urge to push. And I was just like, I don't I don't think this is going to be a water birth. So I get on the I get on the bed. And the midwife has me has me lay on my side so she can so she can check me and figure out because, again, my water hadn't hadn't broken at that point. So she was trying to see if um, I had a cervical lip. And sure enough, I did. So she was able to, to move the, the cervical lip out of the way. And on the next contraction, my water broke. And then. I think it was less than 10 minutes baby was born. Because I remember, yeah, water broke and then contractions got very intense after that. And I remember saying at one point, I can't be on my side. I can't be on my back. I need to get on my hands and knees. So I got on all fours. They got me one of those peanut balls to lean on. So I was somewhat elevated. And yeah, I they didn't even have to tell me to push. Like at that point, my body was like, nah. We're taking over. We're doing this. You just you hang on for the ride. And at that point, I was like, "Okay, I'm just gonna have to trust you because I don't know what's going on." No, the the intensity of your body taking over and pushing was the most bizarre thing to me. I that's why I tell people when they ask me, it's like, "Okay, what was natural childbirth like?" And I don't go immediately to the pain. I go to the intensity of what my body did on its own. That's that's the one thing that that always stuck out. Um, so yeah, only had to push a couple times for ten minutes, and then baby was born. She was perfectly healthy. She came out crying. Um, I didn't tear. I was worried I did, but I didn't. Um, I did. I guess have an abrasion. They called it like a skid mark because she had her hand on her cheek when she was born. And so there was a little, little abrasion there or whatever, but I didn't even notice it. Um, so they handed her to me. We laid down in the bed. Uh, she was plump, but tiny. She only weighed five pounds, 14 ounces. Um, which I, I expected that we would have a smaller baby because both my husband and I were, were smaller babies when we were born. So, but she was perfectly healthy. Like I said, she cried, she pinked up very nicely, um, had a head full of hair again, very plump. So there were no, were no concerns at all. And, um, my bleeding was relatively minor, um, no complications whatsoever on the recovery. And once again, they were calling it a textbook birth, labor and delivery. Uh, She was born at 1130 that night on Sunday. So she was a Sunday baby. She was actually born the first day of spring of 2022. It was really cool. Uh, We named her Diana after the Roman goddess of the hunt. Uh, My husband's a military historian, so he loves the history of of Rome and um, the name Diana uh, came up pretty frequently when we talked about having kids and uh, there's notable characters that I know of that of the name Diana that I like. Uh, so it was just a no brainer for us. So yeah, because there were no complications and my bleeding stopped um, uh, pretty quickly, we were able to come home within a couple hours and we were home and in our own bed at by two thirty, And 
thankfully we were able to get some sleep because baby was first born. Um, she had some trouble latching, but she did enough to get enough to eat and go right back to sleep. So yeah, we were able to get some rest in our own bed, which was nice. Which leads me to uh, the next part of our lactation experience, which is really kind of what started the the postpartum anxiety and, and depression because baby was born with, we didn't know at the time, but she was assessed for tongue ties once I got with a lactation consultant. She had a tongue tie, a lip tie, and two of the buckle ties, which is under the cheek. But it's also when we figured out that our little girl is extremely determined, which I know is going to bite me in the butt someday. But as of right now, it's it's neat to see that determination because despite having her mouth so restricted, she worked her little tail off and would work every muscle in her body to nurse and latch and get the food that she needed. It's still the problem was she would tire herself out because she had to work so hard. Um, and they were concerned that because she had a lower birth weight, uh, that she would lose too much weight too quickly because she couldn't keep up with, with eating. So we got with a lactation consultant. We found a way to supplement using a feeding tube. And thankfully at that time we were able to supplement with my own breast milk. Um, I had a formula on standby just in case, but at that time my, uh, my breast milk was, was enough for what she needed. Um, it was just a matter of, we had to, I would, I'd put her at the breast first for about 10 minutes each side. Um, and they had me limit it to 10 minutes each side. So she wouldn't completely wear herself out. Um, but, uh, we would do that first. Uh, I would pump, I'd use a breast pump to get whatever she couldn't get out. And then we would feed that to her using a, a feeding tube that we would uh, just tape to our index finger. And it was neat. It was a lot of work, but it was cool because my husband could participate in, in getting her fed and I could kind of sit back and relax a little bit. But that is what, that is what triggered my postpartum. Wow. And what do I mean by that? Um, the wow moment of what did I just do? What just happened in my life? Because every waking moment of the day was trying to keep this, this little creature fed and rested. And she developed colic fairly quickly because of the restrictions in her mouth. So her latch wasn't perfect. So the colic hit and the amount of crying involved was intense. Um, and our schedules were just, it was the same thing day in and day out for weeks of every two hours. It's that same feed, pump, supplement. And that in and of itself would take an hour and then, you know, wait two hours and do it all over again. And nighttime was the worst because she had a good, she would gravitate toward toward sleeping a good four or five hour stretch. But because they were so concerned about her weight, 
they said, don't let her sleep past three hours. And so <laughs> you can imagine the toll that that was putting on me. And it was about the sixth, the sixth week of this. And we had made plans to get her, her ties released, but uh, they were booking like a month out. So it was one of those where we just kind of had to grin and bear it until then. But uh, the wow, I remember it like it was yesterday. And you got to bear with me on this because a lot of this stuff I've intentionally blacked out because it was a survival technique at that point of, of just, I have to put all this, I have to suppress it. I have to put all this in the back of my head so I can, you know, move on and take care of myself and take care of my kid. So a lot of this, I'm slowly just having to un unwrap because I, there's a lot, like I said, I don't remember, but this, this particular day I do remember. So in the beginning, baby would not sleep unless she was being held or she was in one of those infant swings. And even then the infant swing, she would only maybe sleep a half hour at most in that thing before she'd want to be held again. So I remember my husband had gone back to work. Um, most of the help from family members and friends or whatever um, had started to die down. And I'm not even positive it was the sixth week. This is, that's just what I'm going with. But um, I just gotten done with one of her feedings of course, we didn't sleep the night before. This was like eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Laid her down in the swing. She was fine. She was asleep. She had her belly was full. But we have a we have a second story in in our house. And I remember going upstairs and just needing a minute to think. And I sat sat on the floor by the window. We have a balcony. And for like a good 10 minutes, all I could do was stare at that balcony and wonder what would happen if I just jumped off. And I wanted to do it. I just remember thinking, well, if I do, I'm going to have to make sure that someone gets notified so that baby's not by herself for too long. But yeah. That's that's what was going through my head was I didn't want to live anymore. I was done. I was exhausted. I couldn't function. Every bit of disappointment about motherhood that I thought could possibly be experienced, I was experiencing. I did not feel normal. Nothing about this felt normal. Um, it felt like such a, a strong case of regret resentment, fear, oh, not abandonment, but loneliness, I guess. And I'd struggled with mental health before when, when I was in high school and had some pretty dark days at that point, but it was nothing compared to what I was experiencing at this point. And then I, I kind of came to and just started sobbing because I knew I couldn't do it because I couldn't just leave my kid and I couldn't leave my husband and I couldn't just do away with myself like that. So I get on the phone and thankfully I, I have a wonderful medical team 
And within a couple hours, I was prescribed. Uh, I'd taken Prozac in the past and it worked. And so when I called the doctor and told him what was going on, uh, he knew my history. And he said, let's go ahead and do the Prozac because we know it works. Um, I don't want you to have to wait any longer than you have to. And it'd been like six, seven years since I'd been on an antidepressant. And I kind of knew in the back of my head that that was always going to be a possibility. But I was so hoping that I wouldn't have to go there again. But there I was just just feeling absolutely miserable and a sense of despair had just washed over me. And I knew that it was time. It was time to get help. It was time to reach out and and get some intervention going because I couldn't trust myself to know what I was going to do. So um, got the Prozac. Um, my husband came home from work and we were able to to talk to each other and, and get it worked out. I started seeing a therapist and um, really started working through what we were feeling and just kind of developed coping strategies to ride through it. Um, like I said, Prozac was the big one, still on it to this day, and I don't foresee me getting off it anytime soon, but I've come to, to terms with that. Um, and that was another thing, like the midwives, they were so helpful with too, of like trying to, to help me find coping strategies. Because when I, when I would hear coping strategies, because the therapist would bring that up, I would always revert back to what would work in the past before I became a mom. Like, oh, I would just take myself out for a coffee or I would go um, go to a park and walk by myself or I would uh, just take myself out to lunch, stuff like that. Not possible at that point with my child for various reasons, but it got the wheels turning of, of what I, I needed to figure out what I needed to do because I still needed to live. So... Um, I started getting really good about finding intentional time to myself. And what do I mean by that was <laughs> just restructuring what that looked like now that I was a mom and my default was showering. And I never really considered that a coping strategy, but it was, it was a big one. Um, tried to make it a point where I didn't shower every day, but I would at least every other day get myself clean. Um, focus on taking care of my needs, making sure I was eating enough, staying hydrated, which was a chore in and of itself, honestly. Um, we discovered as, as baby was growing that my milk supply was not going to be sufficient for her. It, we did all of the things to try to get my supply up to meet her needs as she grew and it just, it never happened. Um, I'm just an undersupplier. Um, again, had to come to terms with that and not see myself as a failure. Once her, uh, once her, once we got her tongue ties released and she was starting to heal from that, um, things were starting to get better. The, the, um, uh, the colic was going down. Her latch was so much better. She didn't have to use every muscle in her body to, to nurse. Um, even with all of those, I still was an underproducer. And so we, we got a good connection with, uh, donor milk, which was great. That lasted for as long as we needed. And then, uh, we did switch to supplementing with formula. She's still getting breast milk from me, what little she can get. Um, and she's eight months now. So, uh, I'd say it's about 
it's about 50-50 where she's getting half breast milk and half formula. So I'm considering a win because the fact that I'm still making breast milk at this point is beyond me. But uh, I still am, just very little of it. But back to the coping strategies, yeah. So just really setting time to be by myself, whether that was, like I said, in the shower or um, we have a front porch. So I'd sit out there sometimes by myself or... Um, it really started being helpful and this is going to sound bizarre, but when I went back to work, cause I do work in a hybrid situation since the pandemic, I work, I work part-time in an office and then part-time at home. So, uh, my days in the office, I could be a little more inclined to <laughs> have five, 10 minutes to myself, even just to, to go to their mother's room so I could pump and just being intentional with that time. And then uh, probably probably the biggest coping strategy, and you can call it coping if you want, but I do have a slight addiction to iced coffee now. And I was, before having a baby, I was just a one cup in the morning type person, wouldn't touch coffee again the rest of the day. That has drastically changed. (laughs) And of course, you know, I still have to limit it because I am, breastfeeding still so uh but the amount of of caffeine that i've had to 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 consume in order to function is probably a little scary but i figured well if it's getting me by right now so be it (laughs) so uh which is ironic because the the closing or the outro of this podcast the phrase of May your messy buns be on point. Your coffee stay warm. Uh, the intentional time I discovered that if I could get my hair in a really on point messy bun, I felt like a total badass. I don't know why. I just did. And so I would even use that time to be intentional of like, I'm going to make my hair into a sweet ass messy bun and I'm going to rock it. So um and then hope my coffee stays warm throughout that. And then if you're like any other mom I know, it's you go to make a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. And then by the time you're able to sit down and, and enjoy it, it's it's cold or lukewarm, which is worse in my opinion. So little tidbit, that's where the, the outro line comes from, in case you're wondering. So in light of all those struggles... Um, we started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel when I'd say is when she was about four months, about four months old, when she was almost healed from her tongue tie release. Um, she was getting the food that she needed, which helped greatly with her sleeping, but it still wasn't perfect. We weren't sleeping all that great at night still. Um, so our pediatrician recommended a sleep coach, which I didn't know was a thing, but I can tell you right now, any of my friends who are expecting, guess what? You're getting at your baby shower. You're getting a voucher for a sleep coach because this woman we were recommended was a freaking godsend. Um, and if you're like me, the idea of sleep training as it's defined on the internet, I didn't like the sound of it. I didn't like the idea of forcing my kid to cry it out. It just was not, it was not driving well with me. But the this person's approach was more along the lines of soothe training. And I won't get into this, the, the details of it other than uh, 
we were coaching our daughter to find a way to soothe herself. And really, all things considered, she picked it up fairly quickly. She discovered that, oh, I am capable of putting myself to sleep. I don't need to be held to go to sleep. I don't need to be at the boob to go to sleep. I can just go to sleep on my own. Once she figured out she could do that, she was a sleeping champ. It's kind of insane because I remember the first night we laid her, uh, we had her in a bassinet in our bedroom. And I laid her down and expecting her to cry because the the two nights previously, she did cry quite a bit, but we had, I didn't let her cry it out. It was one of those where we'd have to set a timer for like 10 minutes or whatever. And then we'd go in and, and comfort her um, until she went to sleep. And we only had to do that like once or twice before she'd fall asleep. But the third night, fell asleep on her own, were no tears. In fact, I was eyeballing the baby monitor going, are you sure you're okay? But yeah, and I... I talked to the coach the next day and it just boiled down to she was absolutely exhausted because she wasn't getting the sleep that she needed because we didn't know how much she truly needed. Um, but like once she knew how to sleep on her own, I mean, she just rolled with it there. I think for about a month, she still woke up twice in the middle of the night to eat because she was still uh, she was still needing to gain weight and be under a lactation consultant supervision on that. Um, but once we got cleared to, uh, by the lactation consultant that her weight had, was it, was it a, was it a safe place? And she was comfortable with that. She said, go ahead and, and see if she'll night wean. So I didn't put too much thought in it. I was like, I think I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna go by, by the baby's pace and, and see how she does. And I want to say it was like a week later, uh, she just decided she was going to sleep through the night. And uh, again, I was eyeballing the crap out of <laughs> the baby monitor thinking, are you dead? Are you still alive? Because you don't sound like my child right now. Um, but yeah, she just decided she would rather sleep than eat. And that was when things started getting better, when we were able to get our sleep again. And so the light at the end of the tunnel, we started to sleep. My support team really rallied around us. My, my wonderful family, my, my church family. And of course my husband, it was, it was one of those where I realized that, okay, I have people I can reach out to if I have a day where I'm like, I want to die again. At that point, I knew it's like, okay, I don't have to experience that alone anymore. I need to have some people on speed dial for when that happens again. So got that set up. We started going for walks. Once we got Diana used to car seat and a stroller, which was a nightmare. But um, once she got used to the stroller, she loved being outside. This this child would live outside if I'd let her. So so yeah, going for walks was huge. Um, being outside was very refreshing, was very grounding, was um, and just getting the exercise was was helpful. And then, like I said, once we got her used to car seat, I we even started going for little drives here or there. Like we, I would find a mom's group or something and and 
drive to it. And like, um, there's been a couple of times where I would leave a little earlier just to drive around the block a couple of times because she liked being in the car and she liked looking out the window. And, and it was kind of a time where I could sort of be by myself, but not really. Um, but it was helpful. And, uh, continuing to use those as she grows. Cause, um, you know, now it's, it's not as terrible because her, her sleep's pretty regulated. Now her daytime schedule is we've got a set routine that works for her. She's eating very well. She's starting to get into solids now and is excited about that. Um, and she's, she's starting to sh- show more personality now. She's eight months old. We're starting to see her come through. She's coming into her own. She's sitting up. Um, she's not crawling yet, but she's very close. <laughs> no teeth yet either, but she's even been handling teething like a champ. Um, and we've got remedies and stuff going for that as well that have been helpful. But the first first four months were a lot of doom and gloom. But everyone that I reached out to was not lying when they said, oh, it gets better. It gets better. And honestly, I have to forgive myself because every time someone would tell me, oh, it gets better, I would get so frustrated because it's like, that feels like a cop out. I'm reaching out to you for help. And that's all you can tell me right now. And they're like, yeah, what do you expect? (laughs) Because it was doing very little at the time as far as giving me any kind of action item to fix this because I... I'm an Enneagram three, which is the achiever. So it's like, I need to fix things. I need to have a sense of achievement. And when it came to motherhood, in the postpartum life, I felt none. So that phrase of, oh, well, it gets better over time just was the most annoying thing to me at that at that point in time. But they weren't wrong. I just I just couldn't hear it at that point. But I can hear it now and understand it and feel some some hope. Because that, that was another thing. Both my husband and I, there was we felt so hopeless. Like, this was going to be our lives forever? Well, no. Now that we look back, it's like, okay, we were a little dramatic about it. But my gosh, <laughs> at the time, we were just thinking, what did we do? What have we done? <laughs> Uh, uh, some very scary nights, very, very scary nights. Cause I'll have, I'll have, uh, opportunities for dads to share their stories too, because I, yeah, I very much believe that the dads go through a version of postpartum as, as well. And I may even have, have my husband on an episode, talk about his experiences. We'll see, but, um, you can't tell me that they don't feel they don't feel turmoil as much as if not worse than than us moms do they just may experience it completely different for different reasons but it can't be ignored it can't be ignored for them either or myself um so to kind of wrap up this episode i wanted to give like a high level overview of what of what my experience was and again where this podcast is coming from 
giving moms the opportunity to hear honest, transparent stories because I feel like social media has let us down on this front. It's so easy to show the world what we want them to see and what we like to think our lives are like, but it's not the truth. And that's damaging. In fact, I read in a in the um, the postpartum therapist book that I mentioned in the intro episode that there's a blurb in the first chapter that in 2021, 20% of suicides were postpartum moms. And I read that again. I was like, 20%? That that's huge. I mean, I, I hate the idea of of thinking of just a single mom being so hopeless and feeling like she has no choice but to do away with herself. And 20% of suicides, that many moms, it's, it's extremely sad to me. Because it's clear that everything I felt, everything I went through is more common than I thought. And it needs to be talked about. It can't be pushed aside. It can't be suppressed anymore. And if and if you're one of those moms that's going through some of this, what I talked about now, please reach out, find some help. There's resources out there like crazy. I wish I knew some off the top of my head for you, but um, I may find some and put them in the show notes, but find a way to reach out. Don't sit in silence. That's the worst thing you could do for yourself right now. Just understand that those feelings you're you're going through and you're experiencing, you're not alone in those. There's other moms out there that can relate to every bit of distress and despair and hopelessness that you're feeling right now. So please, mom, take care of yourself. Well, that's pretty much all I had for this episode. Um, appreciate you all listening. I'm going to be interviewing some moms that I know who are interested in telling their story. And I'm hoping to line up a few dads to get their accounts as well. Because like I said, we can't keep these experiences and these stories in the dark any longer. We've got to get it out. We've got to let other people hear and see us for what it is so we can better cope with it. Because that 20%, the fact that it's, that there are postpartum moms just ending their lives is, it's extremely hard to think about. But if we're going to fix that percentage or if we're going to do anything about it, it's step number one is to start talking about it. So thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Postpartum Wow. If you like what you heard and you'd like to support this podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe and follow me on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow me on my Facebook page at The Postpartum Wow. This way you'll be notified when new episodes are dropped every other Tuesday. Feel free to also leave a review sharing what you liked best, and this will help other listeners know what to expect when checking out this podcast. Until next time, friends, may your messy buns be on point and your coffee stay warm. Thank you.